to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. We are all here once again for your listening pleasure, back with the show that reviews Prince's music and associated artists. And we're about to get into a big one today. This is our part two special edition episode of the album Sign of the Times from 1987. And the guys are back. It's all four of us. We're here to do it all again, player. I've got a bucket filled in at squirrel meat. Toe jam. <laughs> Smashing up your ride. And, uh, <laughs> Captain. It's been a long time coming, this show. Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. Your listeners will have to forgive Captain for his, um, sickly <laughs> vocal performance. He's recently been neutered. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, you'll have to bear with us, but I think we're sounding relatively okay today. Uh, or tonight. Too many burgers. So, <laughs> it's been a little while. It's been a minute for everyone listening to the show, but we're about to get straight into things. We reviewed the first half of disc one, sides one and two of Sound of the Times. <laughs> of course. You can't help yourself. A couple of months ago. <laughs> and we're back to review side two. In what in- took us so long? What oh. took us so long? I don't know. <laughs> Something happened. I can't remember now. It's <laughs> all like a dream, wasn't it? This show, it's, it's by popular demand. Yeah, by popular demand, we're back. And uh, yeah. we're going to go through our usual Peach and Black podcast, Hullabaloo. This is our review, Sign of the Times, part two. Yes, part two of this show exists, unlike the work part two, which I'm still waiting for. <laughs> Unlike my Lotus Flower t-shirt, which I'm still waiting for. Yeah. I have a feeling I won't be getting that anytime soon. But (laughs) on with the review. Let's get straight into it. Let's go straight into the song-by-song analysis discussion and uh, get everyone's thoughts. Let's go! So, part two, side three, (laughs) opens up with a song by the name of You Got the Look. Oh, this is it! This is it. And uh, this song... (laughs) Here we are, folks, the song we got our name from. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. This song means a whole lot to the Peach and Black podcast team because, as Captain just said, it includes the reference that we based the name of this show on. Isn't uh, it amazing that Prince had the foresight to know that we would name our podcast that? (laughs) He's a a pioneer. (laughs) Pioneer. Always one step ahead of the curve. Anyway, yeah, so, look, this opens up with You Got the Look. What a start to to this review, but what a start to the second half of, of this incredible album. I'll take it to the panel and I'll start it off with Captain to uh, uh, open up this review. This song is a duet. The thing about this, it's a duet between Camille and Sheena Easton. It's not even a Prince song, it's Camille. <laughs> it's the only duet on the album 
and it's even it's even seeing it sounds weird to call it a duet because it just I never think of it as a duet. Prince doesn't do duets; he just does songs with other girls in them. Well, it's like um, it's like Nelson George said, you know, you don't get a and song yeah. produced by Prince; you get a Prince production, and it's like that with the duets as well. You know, yeah. you get a Prince song that just happens to have a lyric or two by a, someone else. Someone else, yeah. Or you you faded down in the mix like Gwen Stefani, or oh, she got Gwen <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stefani. Um, <laughs> And I don't think Sheen is even credited in the liner notes. I couldn't see it, but I might be blind. No, I um, think she is. She is? She's credited, but, like, it's a good point that Captain makes because, like, I think, you know, the single and 12-inch, it just says Prince, you got the look. It doesn't say Prince with Sheen. Ah. You know, it's... Yeah, maybe on the album it's got her, but... The in the liner, it's, yeah, like, in the small print, but, like, it's not, like, it's... Not out there. Duet credit, yeah. Okay, this was a last minute edition. It's not a bad track. It did okay on the charts. It was on the albums. I think it got to number two, didn't it? Yeah, it was the highest. It was the album's highest charting single. Got to number two in the USA. But basically, it's a pretty basic song. It's very basic structure. There's nothing special about it musically in that way. Uh, You got live drums by Sheila E, so that makes it different from most. All the one-man tracks on this album. There's cool backing vocals throughout this song, and they're usually mixed like left and right. 141, the great classic Prince squeal. Go and listen to that. There's some great guitar in the background, especially 235 to 244. I love the bass in the outro starting at 330. And that's all I've got about You Got the Look. So, yeah. Player, what do you think about this track? Okay, uh, like Captain said, it is one of the last recorded for the project, and it's the most, I think, modern and contemporary sounding for that time, whereas songs like It and Hot Thing I thought were very futuristic. A cool thing about when this song was released was when Southern Times, the song was released in February, the album came out like in the end of March, and like I said in the last episode, everything was very mysterious, the photos and promo shots were blurry or obscured, and so when this came out on July 14th, 87, it was, you know, the first time you got a proper look of Prince and the concept of the stage and the whole look of the era, so that sort of thing blew me away, and I used to play the video over and over when I was younger, it just sucked me right in. The song itself, Chicken Grease of the intro to the the long look version is fantastic. Shelley's percussion and timbales add an extra dimension to the track. Some cool synth and distorted guitar squeals spice up the track. Lyrics are nonsensical but fun to listen to. And the carnival style outro, I really like that because it doesn't feature through the track. It just comes up towards the end and you think, wow, what was that? And just fades out. Really, really nice. Vocals a little Camille, but I think the song was originally recorded at a slower tempo. But um, Sounds like it. Yeah. This song is one of the funkiest songs on the set. The only thing missing off it really is Delilah. But yeah, it's great. <laughs> great song. <laughs> I think you got a good point there. <laughs> I'm missing. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. So, Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, I like I like this song. Um, it's not, not my favourite off the disc by any means. I agree with what most of the others have said. The actual song itself is kind of sort of pretty straightforward. It's it's basically just a blues again. It always reminds me of like a like what the Rolling Stones. Princess take like a funky version of the Rolling Stones. Like it's just real basic chords and a simple rock song. But then it's got all these bells and whistles all the way through. The timbales and the cowbell and the hi hat doing its thing all the way. 
Like, that makes the song interesting. With all that stuff, it would be a bit plain, I think. I like the airy, distorted guitar sound throughout. And, and I love the cartoonish nature of it, like the Camille voice and the, the slamming. Slamming. Uh, yeah, that one. All that, like, bells and whistles stuff. It right, you know, gives you this imagery of this sort of cartoon. And I agree with Player. I think the last 20 seconds is the best part of the song, that outro. I'd love to hear, like, an extended version of that part, because even the, the long look version, it doesn't really go. I think it has a little bit more of it, but not much. Yeah. Um, but that'd be cool hearing that more featured throughout the song because that's a cool section. It's got it starts with that intro, those two notes that just go back and forth, very airy, very dreamy. And I think that's in one of the uh, Madhouse album tracks as well. A couple of them. Yes. It also makes uh, yes, another appearance, cool. another appearance later on in the album. So it's kind of a theme that oh, a little motif that he was working on at, at that you know 1987, and it, it sort of gives the song a the sort of a, a lift, like it's kind of floating, I guess, even though it's this funky song uh, and it's interesting on the sign of the times movie that this song is played just like the studio version and it's the video clip not really the the live performance so to speak of it so that's mm. kind of weird in the middle of that you know supposedly live show it's right in the middle of it they stick this video clip which is kind of strange always found that strange it was yeah. an interlude yeah, yeah just just on that toe jam i reckon that actually distracts from that that film i would have much rather I agree. preferred a live version yeah i agree totally so it's a good solid start to the second half of the album, but it's it's not one of my favourite tracks by any means. But it's it's all right for what it is. On to my quick thoughts on this on this track. It is the Peach and Black reference. Peach and Black, the podcast is mentioned numerous times throughout this song, so it is a favourite of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he was thinking. They yeah, be a podcast. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if on the recent tour of Australia, whenever he sang that line from from "You Got the Look," because I think they did it a few times. I think they probably did it most nights when they were when they toured Australia in May uh, earlier this year. Uh, I wonder if he was thinking a little bit about the the show. Oh, that's the reason he played it every night. <laughs> and uh, and it's four us. members. That would have been uh, what a sweet gesture, Prince. We thank you so much. But um, yeah. this song is is off the Richter scale as far as a just a, an an incredible amalgamation of or amalgam of sounds all shaken and stirred in, into a um really kind of snazzy pop song it's it's got style it's got attitude it's got you know it, enough of the it, it's got plenty of princeisms and it's got that really metallic digital kind of sound but it's got enough of the real instrumentation as well in in the percussion throughout and the drum the drum playing and the drum programming this is this was a period i think where where the kind of 86 87 88 period where prince became or, or produced his most accomplished work as a drum programmer in my opinion uh, but also his innovative approach to programming drums and mixing them in with live drums or, or not even a total drum kit, but sometimes he would just program digital drums and then put a, a hi-hat over the top or something. Yeah, yeah. And just put just the hi-hat, you know, in, in pure analog sound, or, or at least that, you know, that he'd use a kit and, and hit a cymbal as opposed to pressing down the cymbal pad on the, an electronic kit or a piece of software. So that was really, really interesting to hear. I never thought I'd mention this next band in the same sentence while reviewing a Prince song, but simply read uh, the, the band and, and basically the, the, their lead singer, Mick Hucknall, did, did similar things in their late 80s production and early 90s production. They would take digital drum programming 
and mix it with analogs analog sounds. I think Prince is, is, was probably a pioneer in that in, in that regard. And um, yeah, I think Simply Red was just a bit more simple with it. Yep, yeah. <laughs> <That's> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right there. Uh, it worked to great effect, and 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 in fact, what Tojam said that you know the, the symbol that 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 comes that element of of Prince's arranging and and drum programming comes comes back many times throughout this whole album in, in a variety of, of different songs. The only thing with this one, though, I find I find it's just, just the tiniest... I don't want to sound negative, but it just sounds a tiniest bit forced. Like, it doesn't... It grooves, but it, it, it sort of feels like it's a forced groove in a way. I don't know. I think... Um, this is where I'm going to probably cop a lot of flack from you guys, and, and you're going to beat me over the head with your um, usual attitude. But... I have to say it that the the version on this on CD sounds tinny by comparison to either a well downloaded analog version or listening to it on record. I found because those those little dun 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 dun, dun you know those um yeah just, that keyboard bass bit yeah the keyboard bass lines um they are they sound much thicker and much the low end is more present in in those notes. Uh, when I listen to it on record as opposed to CD, and I did this comparison a couple times, and it's just missing. It's 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 they're almost not even there. Those sounds on the album version, it's so poorly mastered. CD version is just it's sad. it's just sad how bad it sounds. Yeah, it's for, terrible. For what most people say is his best album, it probably had the worst sound. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you. Much worse than than um, Parade and Love Sexy, you know. Uh, it's just a really poorly mastered release. Well, Parade sounds pretty damn good. I'm so surprised that Sign of the Times turned out so badly. Mm. I mean, the low end is really missing, and and that's and that's missing here. But the other thing is that the there's so much guitar in this song. <laughs> and again, um, you're probably surprised to hear me say that, but I I I'd never I, I really. Uh, I just missed it all these years. I mean, surely there's there's the guitar solos and and the, the guitar bits towards the end, but there's a lot of guitar playing that I that I miss listening to the CD version. And I don't want this to turn into a whole CD versus vinyl thing, so I'll move on. But the the production is this really weird mix, and there's a lot going on in this song. And I know we say that about a lot of Prince's music, but this is just another example. The lyrics are just typical '80s themes you know obsessed with fashion and makeup and um i remember there was another song around this time as well that's prince in a nutshell obsessed with fashion and makeup (laughs) (laughs) there was another song another song around this era maybe a year or two later that literally had the same it was i can't remember exactly what maybe it was called just the look or something i can't Hmm. remember who did it but roxette maybe that's it simply red no roxette the look (laughs) But it was a similar thing, like you've got the look or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, uh, you know what? I think you're right, Captain. I think it is Roxette. Of course I'm right. <laughs> I know the 80s pop. You do, you do. <laughs> and, and the other thing about this this particular song is there's the density of, of his layering, layering so many sounds on top of each other and around each other in, in, in his arrangement of this song is, is really, really something marvellous to, to, to listen to and to be immersed in i summarize this by saying it is a funky track but it's not it's not your james brown funk it, it's it, pop it's pop it's prince's pop funk yeah exactly it's it's a pop funk it's an, he's invented a new genre there you go mm. uh the 80s pop funk approach and uh very very strange song um i i personally think it's aged really well if heard on record 
Uh, CD is rubbish. CD is absolute rubbish. And I've said that before. So let's move on to track number two. It is, of course, If I Was Your Girlfriend. And uh, I'm going to hand this over to Player. I've just got a hunch here. I don't know what it is. Okay. The best part of this track is from 0.00 to 5.02. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't worked out, it's the entire song. Good call. Uh, okay. How to describe this song? It's surreal. It's sublime. It's hypnotic. It's intense. It's perfection. Every facet about it, the music, the lyrics, the delivery, the instrumentation, like there's sounds on there where I can't even tell what sort of instruments he's using. Like the opening rhythm is sort of funky beat, but it sounds like a distorted didgeridoo or something. And then you've got all these Larry Graham-style bass thumping and plucking, which is pure ear candy. And then you have the lead line, which is a sort of haunting keyboard or organ. The Camille vocal being high-pitched and then backing vocal being real Bob George low combined with the whole mystery of the title and the subject of the song. It's really cool. It took me a, a while to get my head around it all, which just adds the whole mystery of the song. The lyrics display the intimacy of a relationship effect- effectively. Some great lines in there. Would you run to me if somebody hurt you, even if that somebody was me? And trying to imagine what silence looks like. I mean, that's pure art right there. This would be in the top two songs of the album for me and one of the greatest print songs ever. It's just pure masterpiece oh, wow wow that's a, yeah that's a pretty intense review right there yeah there used to be uh, i remember reading a review in in one of those you know it was the thousand the thousand recordings you must hear before you die and sign of the times is listed in there and um the reason i'm mentioning this is that the the review in that book reminds me kind of of the review that player just gave because i remember reading the review in that book what it would do is it would give you the artist, the album, a, a synopsis and a review of why the, it was chosen as one of the greatest 1,000 recordings ever and why you need to hear it. And then it would give you recommendations on who else to listen to. You know, like, what are your next steps? You know, you've heard yeah. Hendrix or whatever, and, you know, wh- where do you go to from here? And if you look at the, the review of Sign of the Times in that book... <laughs> It actually, it leaves it that part blank. Where do you go to from here? And it says something like, nowhere. Anywhere you go to after this will seem tepid and lukewarm. (laughs) And I just think that's such a brilliant way to categorize this album and potentially even this song. And and Player just reminded me of what you just said. It's just so unique and peerless, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I guess that goes into some of my thoughts about it. And I'll have less to say about the music and but more to say about the song itself and, and the themes and the lyrics. I guess it's so simple in its concept. And I think that's where the genius lies. Like he's talking about the complexities of modern relationships, but from a completely different angle. And, and the, lyrics are, the lyrics are just nuts. <laughs> some of them. I don't know where he's coming up with this sort of stuff. This this double entendre of what what does he really mean? What what side of the fence is he sitting on? Is he playing both parts? Is he is he inhabiting both sides of the male female persona? You know, redefining what it means to be a man potentially, what it means to be a woman, what does it mean to be someone's girlfriend? This song goes many many places, and psychologically, I think it's intriguing from that point of view. And I reckon it's very revealing of Prince, the artist, in more ways than one. I think he's really wearing his heart on his sleeve there. I agree. I, there's moments in this song where you literally feel like you're looking through to the soul of someone. 
Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of a, it's a, an odd place. <laughs> it is strange, isn't it? And it's strange that it's, you get that feeling in such a well-known song in the Prince fan community, you know? You know, that's, that's one half of my review. The other half is a little bit about the music now. Um, the, the falsetto that he starts with right at the beginning is absolute nuts. And it just sets the whole scene. This is probably one of his best drum patterns. And it's, but it's simple. I'm not saying it's complex. Not, it doesn't need to be complex to be great, but it, it and it just, rolls on for those five minutes and two seconds or whatever it is but it's to me it sounds like he's programmed it and he's slowed it down yeah and i think that's what he's done there's bass pads and those synths that are just veering in the background and giving you this impression that not everything is is as it seems you know and it's a little bit off kilter a little bit left of center and it's funny isn't it because the musical um, impression that he leaves you with is exactly what what the lyrics in the song pertain to so that's interesting there's a little bass popping in between the beat and obviously his Camille vocal just sounds absolutely crazy. And there's another thing I wanted to quickly touch on. He's singing in the Camille vocal and we all know that, the, you know, Camille's the alter ego. So that just adds another layer of depth and complexity to the song. And you're thinking, well, who is, who's actually, who's the protagonist in this story? Who's who? <laughs> and what's what? The vocal layering is some of his most creative, but I think this song wins because of its brutal beat its eerie melody and its hypnotic yet completely oddball lyrics. One of the zaniest, most ridiculous songs I think anyone has released in the commercial pop realm ever, potentially. I mean, it's a pretty big hit as far as Prince fans are concerned. One, it, well, it came, what, in the top five or top ten Prince songs of all time in our vote? Two. Second greatest yeah. Prince song of all time. So with Son of the Times or something. There it? you go. The results speak for themselves. <laughs> That's the end of my little rant. So, uh, Tojan, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I totally agree with both of your views so far. I think it's definitely probably in my top five, if not even higher. Uh, it's simply amazing. It's got everything you want in a song. It's um, uh, where, can I, where can I start going with that beat? I, th- I think, to me, the whole song is about its contrast. It's understanding the opposite of what's going on and you've got this real deep stuff going on the whole way but then that's contrasted with the real tight snares and his high vocals the, i agree with the drum but it just it can go on all day that beat and i wouldn't even lose a second um it's you can just stick with it the whole way through yeah and that the, the main line is this this descending little line that doesn't really go anywhere and it just it kind of it sounds like like boredom but in <laughs> that, that's what he's trying to portray not not boredom that's not the right word but kind of you know almost de- in between bored and depressed, I guess. <laughs> yeah, these synths in the background, they're just so low and they're just sustained and very interesting. couple of little moments I've got here. 2 minutes 50, the arrangement going on there. At 3.36, which is when it starts to build a bit, and suddenly this new little, just really faintly in the background, this sort of Rhodes electronic piano sound. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
um, big snare clap sound on beat four of the second bar, the big reverb snare, classic print sound. Yeah, I, it's just, you know, we've all talked about this song many times. It's just brilliant. Um, definitely one of his best ever. I slept on this song for a while, actually, and it wasn't until I saw the... I think I said this when we did the Top 20 um, review. I slept on it for a while until I saw the, the live version, the Sign of the Times live video. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, I went back to the album version. I'm like, oh, man, the album version is just as good as well, but in different ways. So I love both versions. They've both got some really cool bits in it. I thought you were about to say you slept on this version until you saw Demi Moore dancing to it in Showgirls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Never seen Showgirls. Might have to do that. It's worth it just for that one scene. (laughs) There we go. Okay. And we'll round up our review of this song, going straight to Captain. There's only one person that can that can spoil this review at this point, and it's all and it's on you, Captain. I'll do my best. Okay. Toe Jam, if you slept on this, I've been sleeping on it for 20 years, and I probably will for another 50. <laughs> oh wow! What? One day, one day it'll this, hit. This, I don't know. This is just a weird song. Like Come most on, songs. And most people seem to love it. This is just another song that it just never grabbed me. I never got it, and I still don't, and I don't think I ever will. But yeah, I just never got this song. It's There's this strange, weird, like, low synth drone going through most of the track. Uh, it's just too minor and weird and dark for me. But the, there's some good stuff in there, even though I don't like the song that much. There's some... Some, there's some funky bass bits here and there and there's some cool backing vocals funky Camille vocals all through it but for me I'm going to say it this is the most skippable track on the oh. entire album <laughs> he's off the show that's it the entire album kick him off I'll always I'll always skip this song I don't like it there's this really weird like, build up sound that starts at 3.54 and then it goes all the way up to 4.41 it's just weird. Yeah, like look at the intro. It starts with the strings like tuning up, and then there's this lyric about parking or something, and then there's a wedding sound, and then there's a chorus sound. And it's like, what the hell? It's just like within five seconds, ten seconds or something. I know. Then, yeah, it's cool. I'll, I'll give him this. It's memorable. The lead line's memorable. It does pop into my head at random times. But yeah, I just don't like the song. I've probably got the least to say about this more than any other song on this album. Hmm. I think I said this in the first part of this review, that this was the first promotional CD single ever released by Prince. It didn't chart very well. It only got to 67 on the Billboard pop charts, but it did a bit better on Billboard black charts. It got to number 12. See, most people didn't get it, including me. I um, <laughs> will take all comers. <laughs> I I, uh, I have a theory about that. I think that if if I was your girlfriend, it was too f- way way too far ahead of its time. It this was, song yeah. released in the in the mid to late eighties was like twenty years too early. If this yeah. came out at any point in the last few years, it would have been the biggest single yeah. to blow up on radio by any artist. Yeah, should he should have kept it in the vault. No, no, no way. And brought it out now. But, I mean, this track, you could just... You'd play it now and and it would blow up all over the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's as relevant... No, it's more relevant today. The themes are, anyway, than when it was released by far. So, I think that's a huge testament to, to the genius of this particular piece of sound, you know? 
It's too weird. <laughs> weird. Captain turns on the too weird effect. You so can answer the hate mail this month, bro. We go, oh, yeah. We go from that into something... Bring it on. We, we, go, we go from this track, from the second track on the side three, to the third track on side three, which is Strange Relationship. Honey, if you let me, I just might do something rash. What's the strange relationship, shit, shit, shit? If you thought the previous song was weird, well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But before I do, we'll, we'll let Toe Jam open up his review of Strange Relationship. Oh, I like this song. It's a very um, pedestrian kind of tempo. Uh, the beat always sounds kind of sort of 8-bit to me, like very dead in a way, in a good way. Uh, and it's got these sitars uh, going through it, which is a nice effect. This song has three hooks, three killer hooks. Uh, you've got the... Um, that's obviously one of the main ones. That's that's a killer hook right there. You know, that's a classic '80s hook. Yeah. What's the other one? I've got it written down. Do do do. I can't remember what it is. Do 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 da da Not that one. Not that one. Well, the third one is, you know, just the what's the strange relationship? Ship ship ship. That's a hook right there as well. Yeah. Killer hooks all the way through, which is good. I like the progression, the chord progression as well. Just sort of, I think it's D minor, just going back and forth to G minor. But then when it goes to the uh, the chorus, the quarter, kind of pre-chorus, I guess you'd call it, the E flat, B flat, A, back to D. That's a nice little turnaround um, progression. One thing I noticed listening to that, that I don't think I'd ever noticed before, uh, at 3 minutes 40, which I think is the last time he sings, what's this strange relationship? It's got this really distorted, low, you know, pitch-fixed vocal uh, above that, underneath underneath and it sounds really cool so listen to that three minutes 40 does does that vocal say strain relationship something like that, or is that yeah, what you're yeah. About? yeah and it's just whoa way down there it sounds cool yeah. uh, and then you've got that weird Row! sound uh, and again you've got this sort of boring yeah yeah like no one's really caring uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and it kind of reminds me and that with the sitars as well it's kind of a and a lot of this album as well I find it's kind of a, a throwback to those 60s albums the kind of, you know, the Beatles stuff and the Motown. It's kind of a throwback to that era, but kind of with a modern, well, you know, 80s modern kind of piss, not a piss take, kind of take on it, the Times thing. It's like, oh, we're, we're here, you know, it's 20 years later and, you know, nothing's really happening. That's, I don't know, yeah. making sense. It's a little bit. Like, we're I don't kind know of if... in this era, but we don't know where we're going. That's kind of what I, what I get from that. Yeah, it's, a bit, unsh- it's a bit uncertain, isn't it? Yeah, great. That's what I mean. Perfect way of saying it. Uh, there's some good lyrics in here. Ain't it a shame it ain't the movies? Then I could rewrite your every line. <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah, it's a good song. Plods along. I've always liked the live versions of this whenever it's been done. And, again, very interesting lyrics. Again, the, the struggle between within relationships. I don't want to read too much about who this is about or anything. Uh, you guys might, might know better. But it's a good song. Okay, okay. It's okay. Can I just can I just butt in? I got my third hook now. I remember what it was. Okay. <laughs> it's the lead line of the song. Do, do, do. Do, 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 oh, do. Yeah. That bit. That's a killer hook. <laughs> yeah. So it's got three killer hooks, this song. Pretty nuts. Most Big artists would kill for one killer hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Prince has got three in one song. We're all good. Um, I was going to get a player on this, if, if you're happy to take it over. Yeah, not a problem. I always feel sorry for Strange Relationship having to come after If I Was Your Girlfriend. Yeah. That's a tough gig to follow. But it's a good song. Uh, originally written back in 82 and reworked for this project. 
Uh, the thing that's most catching is the stomping beat that drives it. I think the thing that stands out the most is the lyrics more than anything. Again, some fantastic lyricism. This is a great one in the piano melodies as a sing-along, but a lot of the interesting instrumentation on this song is turned down in the mix, being the Wendy and Lisa contributions of the congas and the sitar and flute. And, you know, the song was more like Around the World in the Day with more sort of world music elements, but it's still a good song. It should get pulled out more in the live setting, but it's, it's good. I like it. Okay. My review is short, so before we go to Captain, I might just squeeze it in. <laughs> That's why. <what laughs> to, to me, this song is all about the lyrics, but I'll just quickly give you my sound opinions. The percussion, the lead line, the, thump- the thumping bass, the uh, finger cymbals, sitar, tambourine, tabla, me- Middle Eastern drums, whatever they are, with some spooky, eerie keyboards underneath. It's a 4-4 it's a beat, right? But again, similar to what he did in the previous track, he slowed it back down again. So just by using that one simple technique of slowing the beat down, it doesn't sound conventional. Or not as conventional as if it was just a 4-4 floor floor. Man, that didn't come out right. 4-4. Four, four, floor floor. A 4-4 four, yeah, four, four time kind of club banger which it would never be but that gives it an interesting quality and that xylophone type sound halfway through is really really strange that ding 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 yeah. that probably doesn't come out <laughs> anywhere near yeah so and there's lots of um hand claps vocals instruments all that kind of stuff this is one of the most kind of george harrisony krishna influenced beatlesque psychedelic pop style songs um and i would have loved to hear i i would really prefer probably to hear the version where there was a lot more of that in there. But as players said, it was, uh, it seems to be turned down in this final mix. But for me, this is all about the lyrics and I will go on record to say that strange relationship contains some of Prince's tightest, simplest and potentially greatest lyricism. It's metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. And really none of it sounds cheesy to me. It's a great kind of, uh, great example of, of less is more, you know, and of what he can do by combining these really visual and philosophical lyrics about, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of a relationship with some really kind of strange music, pardon the pun. So, you know, you get some strange music and, and lyrics about relation, uh, about relationships and you get strange relationships. So I, I find this a really interesting song. Love the live versions and off we go to Captain. What are your thoughts? This is a great song. Oh, that makes no sense to me. How can you like this and not yeah. like it? Yeah. This is a great song. This is a thousand times better than the previous song. But this isn't oh. strange to you? No, <laughs> not at all. Strange. The word strange is in the title, Captain. Come on. That's true. That doesn't matter. Strange but true? Is that what, you, what you're trying to it's say? It's beautiful strange. <laughs> it's a great track. It's up there with the best on this album. I love the big whomping P-Funk bass all the way through it. Womp. Womp. That's what it is. It's uh, it's great lyrics. It's got a great lead line. It's very memorable. It's got really cool backing vocals during the choruses. I loved it in the Love Sexy Live piano medley. Uh, and then I think he released the live version in MPG Music Club in 2005, I think. That was great. I could do oh, without... Oh, that's right. That is a cool version. I think that's from 21387. I'm not sure where he like previewed all that stuff. But that's a great version. I could do without the weird off-key 
yeah, yes, but that's when you really hear that synth, the synth come up at that point, and then I'm waiting for Atomic Dog to start. Mm. It's just, a, it's, I love that keyboard sound. Hey, that would be a good, that would be a good, like, uh, mix you could make. Strange Relationship and Atomic Dog. Yeah, yeah, everyone, just put my name in the credits, no problem. <laughs> like Player said, this was originally, you know, written in 82, like five years before this. Set in the vault for a while, he put it on Dream Factory, that got canned. Then he put it on the Camille album, that got canned. Then he got put on Crystal Ball, that got canned. <laughs> then it finally got cut down to Sign of the Times, and we finally got to hear it. But that's a whole other show about projects which never even happened. This is another song I had trouble coming up with things to say. It's just, it's Strange Relationship. What, what else is there? It's, great, <laughs> it's a great track. And Womp. <laughs> womp you can the bass Womp line. all the way home. What? <laughs> Okay, we're on three tracks in and it's shaping up to be a good one. To, to close off side three, we go into track number four, which is I Could Never Take the Place of Your oh, Man. yeah. I, for one, am, am going to base my review of this track about, base it around what happened in May 2012, just as a little clue, but I'll, I'll let someone else start this review. So, uh, player, what are your thoughts on I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man? Okay, um, well... And I never would, but... <laughs> Thanks, brother. Okay, based on this version on the album, it's just a fun pop song. Again, another one dug up from 82, but, you know, it has a mix of When You Were Mine and some 60s Beatles pop, you know, run together. The concept of the song is interesting and of, like, not committing to a long-term relationship. The music is nice with the keyboard hook and the jazzy guitar in the extended part. But this one really gets kicked up a notch in the Sun and Times movie arrangement. You know, I would, I would say the Sun and the Times movie is the definitive one, but now after the tour last month, I'd say that would have to be the definitive version. I mean, just... Oh, no. Oh, I, you can't like it, the album version with the half-time slow Of course. Live yes, scene. you can. Yeah. Of course you can. You can, but we're reviewing the album here. <laughs> uh, all right. If I'm, we're just reviewing the album, then I'd say it's a nice pop song. But if I had to pick a version, I'd pick that one for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, hate mail to Captain. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Captain, give us your thoughts on, on this one. Let us know what you're feeling, if you're feeling anything at all. Without a doubt, best song on this second disc. I mean, I love this song. It's super pop. This is the fourth and final single from the album. Uh, like Player said, it's another 82 track. This got to number 10 in the USA. Yay. I always thought the cover was weird, though, on the single. It's just a really weird pose. And you know what I'm talking about? The beaded necklace. And he's got, like, no shirt, but his hands are, like, doing a weird thing. Yeah. Like and a mid-shot. Yeah. But it's still great. Where do you start? The chorus? Best chorus you could ever come up with. This is one of my all-time favorite prints. I cannot listen to this and not get happy, and, and that's what I want to get out of a song. That's what I want to do. That's the purpose. All I want to do... Exactly. <laughs> is um, be happy. And MC, you've got to mention, you can barely hear it on the, the CD version, but on the vinyl, you can hear the acoustic guitar all yep. the way through this track. You stole my review. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I love the, the double hand claps all the way through. Um, great backing vocals all the way through this track. Everybody knows about the famous bit 220 to 226. 
I won't tell you what it is. You can go and listen to it. The guitar solo, best guitar solo you can ever come up with that would fit on this song. It would be cool to hear some, uh, you know, outtakes from the guitar solo, if there are any, just to hear what else, what other solos he didn't use. That would be interesting. Uh, there's 323 to 334. It's just the best thing you'll ever hear. And you got the bluesy breakdown bit. You can actually hear doubled on acoustic guitar in the left channel for a while maybe it's only on the vinyl who knows hmm. but for me the best part of this song is um after this bit and you know it's all gonna blow your head off any second now <laughs> you get the big thumps start to chug along and then from 547 and the acoustics in the background playing these seventh chords which is just uh, it's just so good and then you've got the big end and and that note you know what i'm talking about it's that note and then that scream it's just this song is insane it's the best song the weird thing with the single was you had the remixes of Hot Thing, and they weren't produced by Prince. Someone else did them. And that was the first time a single featured remixes by an outside producer. Hmm. So well, I'm going to pull you up here. What about the Sheila E. mix of Pop Life? Oh, uh, yeah. La, <laughs> well, that doesn't la, count. La, that doesn't count. La, la, la. Oh, God. You can't count that. Um, she was in-house. Yeah. I'm not talking about lyrics. Someone else can do them. Um, that's all I've got to say about the best song probably on this entire album. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to, to Toe Jams to get his his uh, professional insight into I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. Uh, it's uh, another very good song. Uh, very happy. It's just, uh, nice following up the, the last two darker songs. It's almost a country song, isn't it? Uh, you know, C, F, and G chords and... Very majory, and I like the story. I like the nature of it. You know, it's telling a story, and I love in the video. And also, you can hear it while while you're listening to it when it gets to the chorus. That baby, don't waste. You know, he's just got this massive smile on his face, and you know, you, yeah. it, when that bit comes in, it, it's like everything brightens up. It's, it's really cool. And you've got those um, eh, 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 bits again. It's sort of that throwback to that sort of '60s era, and you've got that big breakdown bit which we've all talked about and i love the synth sound in that which is very similar probably the same sound to the joy and repetition sound i mean i love that sound every time he uses it in his era it's just a really cool unique uh, synth sound i'd love to know what it is what keyboard had it and um try and use that someplace and i like the way uh, in the breakdown also how the sign of the time beat returns that uh that octave don't 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 i won't sing it but you know what i'm talking about mm. and all the way through the song i think mc you pointed this out last time we talked about it i think and I noticed it, that the hi-hat just doesn't change the whole way through. Yeah. And that's really interesting because you don't really notice that it doesn't. But then you, once you know it, you're like, yeah, you're right, it doesn't. And I'll just say, I don't have a vinyl version and I heard the acoustic guitar fine. <laughs> <laughs> you must have magical <laughs> hearing, incredible hearing. Because uh, that I don't know. Maybe really... it sound better. I don't know. Oh, it does. I mean, it sounds... Yeah, it does. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> um, but... On a brief, on a brief excursion out of the album version, talking about the recent live versions in Australia, I love, just love the way he reversed the whole song. You know, everything is so happy and majory, and and suddenly, nope, it's this real dark, dark song, sad song. So, love the the way he contrasted that because it it makes more. Well, I want to say it makes more sense, but what's cool about the original is that it's this really happy sound, but the lyrics are actually kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, and so for him then to take it to that the full sad version was really cool. The sad yeah. version, I'm going to call it that from now on. <laughs> the happy the version, version and the sad version. <laughs> there we go. 
this song is a um I- i'm a massive fan i have to start by saying and um a prince fan yeah yeah i almost think like any anyone who's listening to our review of, of most of these songs are like oh they just keep saying how much they love them this is such a boring show it's so predictable but the fact is that there's so much quality on this album that it's very difficult to 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 actually fault a lot of this stuff and in fact quite the opposite so i'll just start my review by saying that i mean i'm a massive fan of the song it's got so many great things going for it that, I, that I'll go into in a second. But one of the things that really strikes me with this track is that it can be a bit of a sleeper. It can be a bit... You could consider it a fairly standard... Like, to, I think Toe Jam, a player, mentioned something about it being a little bit country-ish. And I think that comes down to, to the chords and, the, and, and the, the chord structure and the strumming acoustic guitar, which is much more prominent in, in the uh, vinyl version. How can anybody sleep on this song? And um, <laughs> From the and, first, like, two seconds, it just blows your head off. Well, it does, but what I mean by sleeper is not that it's not intense and bright and vibrant. What I'm saying is, like, it's just pretty... It's a fairly standard pop song. Yeah, I agree with Or that. at least it's constructed in that way, aside from that bluesy coda at the end. And it's like, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's got that, that symbol going throughout the whole song, and it really doesn't change. And that was something I was going to talk about. But yet... As again, as Tojem said, I don't want to steal his review, but you don't really. It doesn't af- seem to affect in any negative way the propensity of this song, and it doesn't take away from its energy. It just keeps the intensity up. Actually, I think in a funny way, um, it's a really interesting device that he's used. So, look, this is an upbeat song. We've spoken about that, but it's this combination of live drums with two i can hear at least two or three different drum machines or or two or three different drum machine beats it's just really really interesting because again going back to that approach that he didn't use then you got the look and to a lesser degree in strange relationship and certainly if i was your girlfriend this is the fourth song where at least to me he's using that amalgam of live drums and drum machine and a lot of it has got to do with the kick and it's just really punchy and uh, yeah, it's it's got a, it's got a lot of a lot of energy, right? But then you've got these Punchy vocals. Mickey. The vocals are mixed a bit deeper, like they're not really to the fore. And I actually think that that's really original. It's almost like the song sounds like, as per the, the live video, he's talking to someone either on the street or walking past them, or maybe he's in a coffee shop. You know, who knows? But he's like delivering this message. Maybe he's in a club. Who knows? But it's like he's just like a bystander, and he's on the side. Yeah, it's and- like a, it's like he's telling a gossipy story. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and 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 it, that's how it comes across in the vocal delivery and the way it's been mixed. So you know, vo- and I said, baby, you know, yeah, cool. Yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. It's like it's just a bit off off center, um, left of center. And, and then you've got these really nice, thick, really chunky rhythm playing verses. But uh, the biggest thing about this song, by far, is guitar. I didn't Ooh. realize how much of a rock song, country rock, if you want to call it, but power 80s rock as well. If you, This is just nuts. I mean, his guitar tone is so thick, so heavy. I'm assuming he's playing it on the cloud because it's in the video. I, I could never... You listen to this on CD and you listen to this properly on record and <laughs> it is night and day. It's just the chords are thick. You can just hear him strumming them and getting out those power rock chords out there. And he's just really breaking on through. And the same with the drum beat throughout. It's so heavy and thick. And 
and just rich. Um, lots of random guitar lines thrown out, and and the riff, the da 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 da, that the classic riff that we all know and love, that's played on guitar almost every time it comes around in the song. But again, sometimes the guitar's mixed to the fore, sometimes it's mixed to the back. This is one of the most guitar-heavy songs in Prince's entire 30-35 career repertoire. But you wouldn't know it if you just listened to the CD version, because you're probably just listening to the solo and some of the other bits and pieces. That's my opinion, anyway. The guitar actually plays the main part for me. It's the main plays the main melody, the main lead lines. One of his best studio solos. I agree with Captain. Like, how could you? Again, who does that? How do you come up with such a brilliant guitar solo at that time? And uh, that guitar solo, by the way, you know how it kind of ends. It doesn't really end after that big, big explosion. That's right. Yeah, it actually keeps going. And if you listen intently just to the guitar, that point where people, where most people, I would assume, would think that the main solo finishes, it goes on for another 30, 40 seconds. Lots of feedback, uber cool riffing. Uh, this is a great rock song, and the lyrics about you know sympathizing with with a woman, but not necessarily going after her and telling her that you know we, we're not going to be together. It's it, it, it ain't really going to happen. But I'm just telling you what what I think about the situation is such a novel approach, you know? And you think about this song and then Strange Relationship and If I Was Your Girlfriend, what a unique take on similar themes, you know? He's got three songs on this third side or this second disc that are so similar yet so different about relationships. I find that really intriguing. For an album where most reviewers say it's so eclectic, it goes from, you know, it touches on so many different musical genres and styles. But thematically, the first four songs on this album are pretty much about the same sort of thing, but from a different point of view. And I find that really, really interesting. So, um, yeah, there's my um, elongated review. And with that, I just finish on this last point. The scream at the end of this song is one of his all-time greatest screams. And I would put it on par with Endorphin Machine. <laughs> However, if you're listening to it on the album version, unless you've got it cranked up way, way into the red, you won't hear it or you won't hear the effect. So let me just put it out there for everyone. Get a rec- copy of this record. Listen to it on some decent equipment. And that scream's going to blow your head off, as Captain <laughs> says. So, um, yeah, one of the greatest screams of all time. And that finishes side three if you're listening to vinyl but it continues cd2 if you're listening to the crappy cd version so let's go into um track number five the cross and uh i won't go to captain on this i think we might start with toe jam he might (laughs) give us an interesting review Oh, this Uh-oh. is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, uh, you tell us. <laughs> I actually, I don't mind. I have no problem with the song. I think it's a good song. You know, it's all about his hope and it's all about his faith and there's nothing wrong with that. Some really good lyrics, actually. I like, um, you know, just the idea, you know, someone singing a sweet song, you know, but in this really, really desperate, starved state. I think that's, you know, I think he's kind of seeing the religious aspect of it, but I think we could all, everyone can see this song and relate it to what they know. Like we've all, we all know that situation where, you know, things are just not good, but you can see something beautiful in it, or you can see some, have some hope in something that, you know, something's going to change. And I think that's kind of the, the story of the song, even though he's probably 
looking at it from a religious perspective. That's what I get out of it. But I love the way it's just, I'm assuming, I'm pretty sure it's just prints on this song all the way through, playing everything. Uh, and I love the way it just sounds like this really sort of almost high schoolish kind of song. Like it's E major and A major. Like, you know, the first two chords anyone ever learns on guitar. And it, it, he's just sort of putting himself out there. And, the, you know, it's, it's really simple stuff musically. But, you know, he just goes with it and um, follows it where it takes him. Uh, and it builds and builds and builds. But it never goes over the top. That's what I like about it. It builds, but it doesn't go to this huge, massive thing. It just, like I said, it, it almost sounds... It almost sounds amateurish, but in a good way. But then the big sort of killer climax is when those that super layered vocal come in, singing the chorus, you know, just going over the top. It's like, you know, that's the moment when, you know, the transcendence has arrived kind of thing. I'm not too worried about the religious side of it because I can, I, you know, I think it's one of those songs that we all kind of put our, we project what we want it to mean. Uh, and I think the fact that he then changed it later on to the, the Christ and it became a bit too specific and I found, yep. yeah, uh, and it's and a bit of a shame, but you know, there's other people that would say the same thing about just saying the cross. So, well, that's specific enough as well, but I don't know. So it's a very interesting song and, and, uh, I like the sitar kind of sound, even the little hook. It sounds like even when it's played on guitar at the beginning, it sounds like a sitar. So some early seeds there of some of that Arabic stuff he got into later. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Mr. Captain. Yes. What's the deal? What's the deal with the cross? Well. Are you cross with the cross? I've got to keep talking like this. Okay. No. Uh, this is another one of my all-time favorite Prince songs. Music-wise, it's very simple, but it does the job. Uh, of course, I love the blow your head off part when the drums kick off at 227, especially live. It's just insane. And then the big chugga-chugga start, starts the drums and the bass all just chug along and it sounds great. Toe Jam was saying you've got like the big chorus bits at the end where I'm pretty sure it's just him and a thousand overdubbed vocals singing the cross. But apart from that bit, there's no backing vocals in the entire song, which is interesting, I thought. Mm. Um, there's just those two or three big ones at the end and that's it um, yeah, that's what I like it it sounds really like it sounds like everything's one take and it probably isn't but it sounds like a band like a high school band playing in their garage yeah uh, yeah. And that, that's what I like about it it's just real earthy you know it sounds demo-y demo-y yeah. Yeah. which I really I think is more reason why I like it just when I listened to this the other day I noticed some really weird effects which started about 346 get your headphones on get your vinyl out <laughs> and go and listen there's just some some weird stuff going on which i never noticed until i really really listened to it some weird stuff in there his um, his vocal as well like but he sounds kind of exposed and there's a couple of times where he's a little bit out of tune and but i think that's really kind of brave to do that the more i think about it, i wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of set himself this challenge of doing this all one take like each instrument one take yeah maybe but i could be wrong yeah also i wasn't too sure about the 1998 versions of of the the christ but then I thought, hey, it's his song. If he wants to change the lyric, he can. But as long as he knows, we're just going to keep singing the old one anyway. And that's, how, that's the way it's going to be, no matter what he sings. This was another one that was for Dream Factory and then Crystal Ball and then Sign of the Times finally came out. I'm pretty sure that MC included this in his Opera House set list. And um, just keep that in mind. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> 21 Nights. Yep. Hey. All right, all right. Hmm. The Cross. When you listen to it on CD, you're probably sick of tired. You're sick and tired of me saying <laughs> this. 
you can barely hear the, the bloody thing for like 50 or 60 seconds. When I put my vinyl version on earlier, uh, within about five seconds, I heard that. <laughs> I had the most spiritual, most powerfully uplifting experience earlier today when I put this record on and when The Cross came on. I fell in love with this song and literally a day earlier, if we'd been recording a day earlier, I wouldn't have had so much great stuff to say about it. And it was only because I put the needle to the record and I was in the right frame of mind and I just really connected with it. I find it really odd saying this because it's a song that I have almost always started and skipped or completely skipped in the CD versions. Every time I've had it in the car, every time I've had it played the CD at home, I, I, that I just never... Is a, that is a crime. The crime. <laughs> I think yeah. I, I kind of see what you're saying. Like, I reckon if, if this song had never come out and you put this song out right now, I'd never heard it before, I reckon I'd be all like, oh, it's, you know, it's rubbish, it's just this religious mumbo-jumbo and all this. But because yeah. when I first... <laughs> Because when I first heard it, I didn't have all that. So I would have just, you know, you like I said, you project onto it what you want it to mean. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that I'm projecting an, an incredible response that I had earlier today, as opposed to the response that I had with it the first hundred times I heard it or however many, it was, was pretty lukewarm at best. I, I don't feel like I'm ready to review the whole thing, but I'll give you some of my impressions from earlier today. The rhythm playing is like... <laughs> this is Prince creating grunge. Now, that's going to sound utterly ridiculous to anyone who would, who's going to take my review seriously or who's going to take my review literally, but I'm listening yeah, to that. I can get that. I'm listening to that rhythm guitar, and I had, I had my bloody speakers turned up loud. I just got a new preamp. The vinyl was turning, you know, at the correct speed for once. Um, it was bloody sounding just incredible. And that rhythm playing, I was like, Wow. This is an 87. This is like Lightning Crashes by Live or some... Oh, some, now that is a good song. You know, or, 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 some, or some really rocking Pearl Jam track or something like that, or Alice in Chains or something. I don't know. I mean, all these bands that are coming to me now. This is really, aside from being spiritual and intense, this is a grunge. It's got elements of grunge in there. They, are, they might be subtle, but they're there, believe me. And then to completely invalidate what I just said, the next part of my review has me saying it's like a typical gospel song. And I think that dichotomy and the contrast between what he's going for here, it just creates a very, very strange track that I'm I not... I think that's the thing with Prince, is that he can never just do, uh, oh, here's a normal gospel song, or here's a normal rock song, or here's a normal pop song. There's always something that's slightly different with it. Mm. Yeah, and this is a great example of that. The drums are big and powerful, but they're strange. It's I feel strange saying this. They're big and powerful, but they're sparse at the same time. The guitar is big, powerful, heavy, just like the drums, but then it's kind of sparse. And Toe Jam, do you think he does that on purpose? I just think that's the way he is. Like, he's not a normal guy. Therefore, he, he just sees things differently, I think. Hmm. But do you think he does it on purpose? Like, he can't just do a normal gospel think... song. Is that because he says, I want to do a gospel song, but I can't just do the normal thing? I think, or like I said, I think it's it just, just a natural thing, and that's how it comes out. Well, I think it's a it's a bit of both. I don't, you know, I think part of Prince's thing is that he has to be different. He Like, it's almost like he has to prove to everyone that he's different. Mm. And whether, they, whether that's intentional or subconscious, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's that it is it is odd, isn't it? And that I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but this this contrast between the sparse and the dense, the thin and the thick, if you will, sounds within this song. 
is is utterly compelling. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but the drums, they start off at one tempo and then he speeds them up as the song progresses. Yeah. Yeah. Gets faster. And yep. it, it's but it's just a tad, like a tad faster. And but you can hear it and they speed up and his vocals half halfway through the song all the way out to the end. I mean, he really digs deep there. You know, this is impassioned. It's heart-wrenching. He's just going for it, you know, like an old blues troubadour almost, you know. And then he's got that gospel, that really, really deep gospel root as well, or his gospel roots are really showing. I am actually surprised that he released this song. Not only am I surprised that he released it, but I'm surprised that he released it on this album. Because there's been a lot of other songs which he's written, he's recorded, and then for one reason or another, they just don't get released. Hmm. And there's always, you know, the comment from like Susan Rogers or someone, oh, he just thought that was too personal. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's inter- some of them, still they still get through. I mean, this is, this is like that message song, the, the song of hope and the song of salvation, but... But at the same time, I personally think that, that this is his most overtly spiritual, his most overtly religious song, potentially up until that point, actually, in his entire career. I can't think of any song that matches this for spiritual and religious energy up until this point. So I think it's really interesting. And the last thing I'll say before we go on to player is on the on the record, on the actual record, not CD, three quarters, 80% of the way through of this, this song, I hear this really strange, thick, muddled bass. It almost sounds like a like a reverb from a from a tabla drum or something. That might be the weird sounds I was talking about. Maybe. They started at like 346 yeah, and yeah, yeah. they just... They're just weird sounds. Yeah, weird, yeah, weird there's, stuff. There's heaps of that sort of Indian tabla, the sitar, and weird percussion instruments going on towards the end. Yeah, so interesting, curious, and strangely powerful. And on that note, we go to the strangely, the strangely powerful player to the view <laughs> of the cross. So this is one we'll never hear again in this way or form. But the cross is a quiet storm force of intensity. Oh, um, wait, wait, no, no, we're going to hear it at the Opera House. <laughs> Don't say no, that. I'm, no, I'm saying in this way, like as the cross. We won't oh, hear it'll it. Be, it'll, be, it'll be just like the album version. There is one way he could sort of redo it. He could do, I'm cross. <laughs> <laughs> With you. <laughs> Only if the cameras keep flashing. Hmm. Okay, so this starts off real quiet with soft vocals and guitar strums. Sounds a little like Neil Young or something, and the vocals are passionate. And then the kick drum comes in, and it's not really bombastic or grandiose. It's more like garage rock or punk in its sound. Just guitar and drums. It's a really dry kick drum. Yeah, guitar and drums just being the dominant instrumentation in the mix, along with that oriental motif that runs through it, which is a nice little line. It's part social commentary, part religious imagery, but ultimately the cross is a symbol where it loses a lot of impact when changed to the Christ. I would have preferred if his beliefs have changed, that's fine, but don't play the song you know, instead of rewriting it from something that takes it from potentially being universal to something quite specific. But other than that, it's a nice little moment with Prince on this album. Right, all right. Oh, I've just got to say, before Tojam said it was E and A major, E major, A major, it's E major and A sus too. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> the two finger chord. Yeah, the easiest one. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, That actually also makes me rethink some of what I said, but I won't spend too long other than saying 
you know, I talked a lot about this big, massive sound, and I actually realized that it's la- it was loud, maybe because I was listening to it so loud, but you guys are right. It's it's very garage rock. It's not it's not um the gold experience. It's not Michael B and Sonny T blowing your head off. It's like <laughs> Prince in a studio just playing. You guys are going to kill me for comparing it to this song, but it kind of reminds me of, like, Walk on Sand and um, something like Resolution at the end of Planet. Like- <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Quality, but in terms of like it's a little song towards the end it's basically just prince on his own doing his little thing and he seems to do that on albums every now towards the end of an album he'll have just a little song that's kind of his doing his little thing that's not overproduced it's like a little you know acoustic drums and yeah uh, yeah. yeah moving on <laughs> it's gonna be a beautiful night is it Woo. A live song with overdubs on an album. Significant overdubs. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. That's all I'll say. Let's go to Captain to start us off with. It's going to be a It's going to be a Again. It's going to be a beautiful night. Okay. You want interesting? Hmm. Recorded with the full Revolution Band in 1986. The song's credited only to Prince. (laughs) That's, That's interesting for you. <laughs> Recorded in Paris, 1986. Uh, it's on this album with significant overdubs. I'm guessing the original version was pretty basic and sparse compared to what we hear on the album. Uh, it's pretty much a jam track, and live it went off regularly, going for 12 plus minutes. Just the album version's nine minutes, and I've heard of versions going 15 minutes or longer. It's just crazy. If there was ever a tour I could go back and see, this would definitely be one of them, to just to hear this song. Because I don't think he's he's played snippets of it here and there, but he's never played the full song since 1987, that mm. I can think of. And, I mean, he'd need the right band to do it as well. That's the thing. Uh, listen at... 155 to 158, he hits some insanely high notes. Horns, big part of the song. Yeah. And the horns are just crazy. It's yep. the best horn section. Yep. I mean, they're up there with the horn heads. Seriously. Yep. It's, they're, they're pretty damn good. <laughs> it's funny how this is just a, a jammed track, but listening to it, you, you know every single part. And I think there might be one reason he doesn't particularly like putting out live tracks because then they're seen to be as, you know, the definitive version, but he might still be evolving the track when he does it live and he doesn't want to have a live version saying this is the song because that's what the album version is. But I like Shilly's rap and you got the cool bass line that comes in at the same time as and the funky guitar. Uh, I have to reference the video, the live version, where he gets on the drums and every time they cut to him, he's just got this funk sneer <laughs> on his face. And it's, it's like he's, um, so cool. It's like he's, he can't control himself. He's like, oh, oh crap, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good. Every time I watch it, he's, he's got his hat on and uh, it just looks so cool. <laughs> he needs to play drums live more often. It's, it's just the coolest thing. And what else is there? There's this organ part. It starts at 7.12 and it just holds this like drone couple of notes for like two minutes till the end of the song and i never noticed it until you know until you really listen to it on headphones and it's there and i don't know what else i can say uh except confusion (laughs) 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 and uh player what's your take on this live 
Well, I've got to say, once again, although this is a fun and funky song, the Son of the Times movie version just wipes the floor of this track. Mm. It takes this and again kicks it up into funk stravaganza. The OEO chants now part of Prince fan funk lore history. You still get the fans calling it out at shows. Sheila E's rap is great. The highlight would have to be the horn lines, like Captain said. They are the best composed and arranged apart from Bill Jack Bitch in a Prince track. They're just crazy, like mm. those A-train lines and everything. It's just really interesting to listen to. I guess it's stuff like this that I miss in Prince's music. For example, he still has horn players and they do horn solos, but there's not much of these crazy horn arrangements anymore. So another one to add on to the wish list. And speaking of wish lists, when was last time? This song was played live. Uh, 93, I think. Yeah, Snippet did 93, but never the full version. When this came on, it just turned the party out like Baby on Star. Um, So I'd like to see the extended jam of this return to the live shows with all the dancers like Housequake and The Six and Catwalk and all that into the extended part of it. That would be on my wish list. Really, really like this song. And it has to be real horns, not just Morris on the keyboards. <laughs> Thank doing you, a Morris. fake. Doing a fake. Nah, real horns. <laughs> doing a fake. Doing the fake <laughs> horn horn heads. <laughs> yeah. Not just pushing a button and going, oh, here's the sample. It's almost the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> no, Morris. No, it's not. If you want the truth, Captain will tell it to you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Real horns by real horn heads. <laughs> 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 That's what we want. That's what we want. I think the eyes have it. Okay. The horn riff. You're right. It's incredible. Uh, But then Prince says, drop out the horns. I I say, drop in the horns. Put them back in. Uh, Brown Mark is grooving on that bass. Great bass line. Just funky, funky stuff. Probably one of the most funky bass lines in Prince's entire catalogue, I think. Just for pure... Great, great plucking and picking and whatever the hell they're doing. Heck, they're doing. Excuse me. Um, No time for politics or sorrow. Let's just have a ball. Let's have fun. Just great stuff, you know, and really positive energy. Crowd interaction um, is pretty wild, actually. Uh, You can really hear them on the record, not so much on the CD, poorly mastered version. And there's obviously a lot of atmosphere that night in Paris. I just don't understand why this is on here. It would be more of a masterpiece without this song. And also the fact that it cut the last bits of the audience chants cutting into the next track will mm, always yeah. just <laughs> yeah. really pee me off. Every time you want to make a compilation, you can't do it. It's yeah, just- <laughs> it just sounds awkward. But yeah, you're right. The horn lines are too funky. Toe Jam's probably got a lot more to say about that. But um, yeah, that's me. Toe Jam. But hang on. You know the history behind that, don't you? About no. it's going to be a beautiful night in the door. No. Prince was like throwing those songs back and forth at the end of the mix, like having a door second last and a beautiful ah. night last. And he couldn't decide. He kept changing the order of it back and forth. And then eventually he just put a door last. Okay. But I wonder why he the, the tracking on the album version means that you get the audience right at the beginning of the song. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, they should have done a full fade and kept the door clean. I don't know why they had to cross-fade it. It yeah. always annoys me every time I hear it. Yeah. And like Toe Jam said, anytime you want to use a door on a compilation, there's that audience sound at the start. Is, <laughs> there, is there a clean version anywhere? No. Nah. What about on the hits B-sides? Is a door on there? No. Nah. Yeah, but it comes after, what's the live track? What is it? They, they still do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, God. nothing compares to you, that's right. Yeah. 
Annoying. Well, there's another wish. Apart from wanting the full version of a door, which we know ex- now exists, we want the one without the audio sound at the start. <laughs> <laughs> that's on the. That's I'll put that on the list too. Oh gosh. <laughs> and with that, let's go to the funkiest horn player in Brisbane, potentially Australia, Toe Jam. Potentially, come on. No. <laughs> come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I actually have a lot to say about this. I kind of agree with player. Like, it's a get cool. You listen to it, and you can kind of get into the vibe, and you can kind of imagine yourself being there. But I find it's really hard to come back to listen to this one after listening to the the um, the movie version because that yeah. movie version is so much better. It's just a couple of clicks yeah. faster and some really cool sections in it. My favorite all time uh, blow your head off moment comes in the in the movie version when towards the end they just crank it up and they go into the rock hard and a funky place line but it's like you know three times the speed as the album version and then straight into a train yeah yeah so yeah i also not a big fan of this song in, on the album in terms of an album track for the simple reason it goes for nine minutes now if you think of all the material from the 86 87 period that never got released or wasn't released until <laughs> you know the crystal ball yeah. album can you imagine crystal ball would have fit on this most likely yeah. oh wow some some yep. you know or two of those sort of songs like dream factory or something could have gone on there instead of this can you imagine dream factory crystal ball and like last heart instead of this yeah oh I, like I that, would've, that I would probably, take. If I could have chose, I probably would have put Crucial on here. Oh, there's, we uh, could all it's too, it's, too, it's, that would, it's too close to a but, door. But it's similar to way, a door, but you'd have to yeah. put it on disc one. I see what Toe James, what you're it, saying it's, though. It's, it's nine, like, you know, like I said, nine minutes, and I just think that's not that's great. Nine minutes of music, but an album of this quality, I, I just feel like if you put something else on there, like one or two of those songs, that would have sent this album into the absolute that's, stratosphere. That's so. nine minutes of prime real estate. Yeah, yeah, and and the other thing is that this. It, to your point about, uh, and to our point about definitive live versions, it's like this is probably the <laughs> most. This is like the standard you know, because when this was recorded, this was Parade Tour, and then yeah. by the time they they did the the Sign of Times movie version, you know they'd had the whole tour yeah. under their belt basically. So you can and hear how the songs so evolved over that time. Yeah, and, and in fact, d- dare I say it, the version of "It's Going to Be a Beautiful Night" on Sign of the Times album is probably the least definitive version of this song yeah. in existence. Yeah, exactly. Which and is so why for I me, said, that's probably why he doesn't like doing live release yeah. tracks. Yeah, for that so reason. For, so for me, this is probably the most skippable. But having said that, it's still it's still fantastic to listen to. Great fun. Um, but I haven't got a lot to say about it other than you know, there's some cool horn lines, there's some good live bits. Yeah, and there you go. Woo. Okay. And getting into the uh, tail end, in fact, the end of this album, we get into a song that uh, has one word in its title, five letters, starts with an A, and of course I'm talking about a door. To close off side four, disc two... This is it, guys. This is the closing number of Sign of the Times. This is it, as Danny Minogue said. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to start this off because I've got a lot on it. So uh, let's go to either player or captain and um, give us your honest opinion. Let's go to captain. Let's make this interesting. Let's get him out of the oh. way first. <laughs> yeah, get, get, the, 
get that done first. Get the ballot hater. Yeah. yeah, he's going to say it's most skippable. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I've already said that, see? I can't say it again. It can't be most skippable because there's nothing after it. It's... <laughs> <laughs> he's going to say, I hate to say it, but I like this film. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is, it has to be, no, it has to be. It is one of his best ballads. Not just best ballad, one of his best songs that he ever wrote. It's surprising to hear you say that. So surprising to hear you say that. (laughs) That's not to say I like the song. No, I do. I do. I do like the song. (laughs) And it is a great song. But even if I didn't like it, I I could still admit it's a great song, even if I didn't like it. Um, If you ever needed, you know, education, how to write a great ballad, you, you can't go past this track. It's just that 987, you know, 86, 87, I think was his peak of songwriting, you know, abilities. And I think, I don't, I don't think he's really, he's rarely come that close since, if at all. It's just, um, it's crazy. The falsetto is just in exquisite form throughout. <laughs> the beautiful sounding horns, the horns sound so good. And the organ, the organ sounds, it's just perfect. And, um... Come on, Prince, I'm still waiting for the full, unedited version. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah, with no audience sound at the start. But, I mean, lyrics. If God one day struck me blind, your beauty I'd still see. Come on. Uh, Yeah. I don't listen to lyrics, but that's freaking amazing. Yeah, that's nuts. That is just... I don't think he's written a line better than that. Anyway, amazing backing vocals. Somebody might punch me in the face for saying this, but from 214 to 216, there's this little bit, and it reminds me so much of We Get Up. It's just, it's just not funny. <laughs> no, you're right. It's not funny. 214 to 216. Just go and listen to that, and if you don't hear We Get Up, I don't know what you listen to. Uh, and as great as this song is, you get to 2 minutes 29, and then we're, we're going to town. It's just, it's just the change, and... After that, I'm just, like, lost for words. You just got this, the whole next minute and the big build-up up to 3.28. <laughs> and there's this really cool horn that blows at 3.18, and I love that bit. It's one of the best bits in the whole song. It's, like, one second, but it's so good. It's the perfect thing to go there. I'm just going to I've still got more. <laughs> Outstanding vocals. 3.54 to 4.14. There's no more words. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, 4.56, there is this super weird chord that he plays on the organ, and it's sort of buried, but when you listen, when you know it's there and you listen to it, it's just weird. It's like, what the hell is this? But because it's buried, you don't really notice it, but once you know it's there, you'll always hear it. So everyone go and listen to it. Yeah, it's good. I said Slow Love was great, and I thought it got overshadowed by a door, but I still think Slow Love's a worthy challenger to this song but i think adore just beats it yeah slow love it's more by the numbers but adore is just the prince ballad and it's just great and just when you think it's all over then you got another big hit 510 till till the end of the song you got all these little horn flourishes and piano bits and the big choir sound and the strings as well perfect end to the 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 great great album and i think i've said everything now (laughs) everyone else what do you got left there's not so much in this song though that we could we could all go on. Yeah. We could all go. Yeah. We probably could. Um, <laughs> wow, what a, what an opening to this to this review. Just I'm grinning from ear to ear, <laughs> but I'm also like just thinking about how brilliant it is, and I've kind of given up how part of my review by saying that I that I like it, as if I'd say that I don't. Player, uh, adore. Do you adore this song? I do. I probably co-sign with everything that Captain has just said. This is probably one of his 
you know, the best ballad he's ever written. The lyrics and vocal delivery are so heartfelt and smooth, and some real great lines that evoke great imagery. Um, Favourite being the um, burn up my clothes, smash up my ride, maybe not the right line. Yeah. You know, he, he loves this girl, but he still has his limits. <laughs> it's a horn showcase and warm electric piano are the highlights for me. The end where the drums stop and it's just the horns and vocals, and then you have this angelic climax. It's just the perfect way to round out this whole album. So, yeah, you know, the, what what more can you say? It's a door. So, it's good. You know, this song, this song is almost as good as Carmen Electra's song called All That. <laughs> almost as good. <laughs> that just beats it out, though. So, I guess it's down to myself and Toe Jam. I wonder who should go next. Uh, I'll out. go next. Okay. I'll go next. Go, go. I actually kind of slept on this song for a couple of years, and it's one of those songs that I listen to it, and I think, wow, that's an amazing track. And then I won't listen to it again for another six months. And then I'll listen to it again. I go, wow, that is a freaking amazing track. Put it away again. Listen to it again another six months later. And then it's, it's probably only like maybe two years ago that I really heard it. I thought, wow, this is unbelievable, really. And I just got a big word bolded in my notes just saying arrangement, arrangement, arrangement. There's, it's just so brilliantly done. Like you could swear this was done by a whole band and, and each person kind of saying, oh, yeah, when you do that, I'll do this. And when you do that, and then I'll, I'll answer with that. But it's, it's Prince doing it all on his own, which makes it just even crazier for me. Like how he put that, this whole piece together with all of these bits coming in perfectly together, knowing, like answering everything perfectly, it's just, it boggles the mind. And there's so many instruments in this song. Obviously, there's all the main ones, but then we've got stuff like there's these harp keyboard sounds, there's marimbas, there's violins, there's horns, there's there's an organ in the left speaker, and then there's an electric piano in the right. And it's and listen to that. Like I would love to hear this just as a, as a curiosity. I'd love to hear this without any vocals, just to hear the music and the bands just play. Listen to the way it builds and builds and pulls and stretches. It's unbelievable and. It's, You've got that Madhouse bit again that I was talking, which opens the disc. Those two notes that go back and forth again, that sort of gives it this dreamy, lifting feeling. And for me, I think it's not until about like some probably four minutes something when the actual main door bit comes in, and it it just soars over the top there, just beautifully. And then you know like what that is, you know what that is, it's angels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally, this song is is sounds like it came from angels. It does. And then from that point, you think, oh, the song's going to sort of filter off. But then it doesn't. It just keeps going another couple of minutes. And, and you've got that last climax at 5.45 uh, where he's, you know, the sort of the end of the song where he's like, I'll give you my body, I'll give you my mind. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's all yours, baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, what a classic song. And it has to be up there with Scandalous. I think it's probably this and Scandalous are the two best ballads he's ever done. It's a tough, tough call between them. Um, and Tojan, when you hear those two songs back to back at Eaton's, exactly. Eaton's well, birthday, uh, yeah, at four o'clock in the morning, that makes it. To hear, yeah, exactly. To hear this song at four o'clock in the morning, the full version of it uh, was was mind blowing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, so player. If, so yeah. if you're out there, Prince, thank you for that. So. <laughs> and again, it's it, it's this sort of '60s throwback. It's throwing back to this sort of old Motown ballads, but just taking it to taking it to the future. Really, a couple of bits I just left out. A couple of cool little bits. You know, it's got the horns all the way through it. And then it gets to that bluesy bit, and uh, he sings, Crucial, and you hear this harmonica, brown it up. Uh, that's cool, hmm. that bit. I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that. I've got to listen There's a little to harmonica bit in there, just out of nowhere, this little harmonica. Yeah, there we go. Okay. 
Uh, so <laughs> the uh, what, what, what can I add here? Incredible track, yes, incredible, incredible, incredible. We've thrown enough superlatives at this already. Um, however, there's even more to throw at it. The organ, right? Now, all of you has talked about the organ. The organ intro starts the song off pretty much, but um, it's actually there, present all throughout the song. I don't think there's ever a point in a door where the organ doesn't have a part to play. Even when it's not doing much, there's always this undercurrent, undercurring line of, of an organ sound. And that really, um, it just sustains the song all throughout the, um, the length of the, you know, six minutes or however long it goes for, seven minutes. Now, here's something that I heard recently that has really deceived me all these years. And again, I'll say this for the last time, vinyl versus CD, CD versus vinyl. It's confused me. It's confused me to bits because when I heard this song on CD, I always thought the drums and the drum sound was really kind of digital and manipulated. I put the record on and I really paid attention. I'm like, I figured it out. The reason why I think it's so digital and so processed is the kick. It's the kick drum is so tightly wound. It, it just pops. Every time you hear the kick, it just pops. It's not, it's not like a thick, muddy kick. It just really pops right out, out at you. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, so what have I been missing all this time? And I really paid attention to the drum track. So someone correct me if I'm wrong here, but the drums are like, there's certainly live drums in there. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think so. I think it wouldn't surprise me if it's just a kick and snare, like electronically, and then everything else is... And then everything else is yeah. live. But because the kick, in particular the kick and potentially the snare as well, are so prominent, you, you get this impression that it's not just someone playing behind a kit. But I actually think that potentially someone is playing behind a kit and it's potentially Prince. And it's given me a whole new appreciation for this song. I never thought of Adore as a throwback slow jam because it wasn't... You know, it wasn't like a Motown house band playing it with Prince, you know, right up front crooning away. I always thought it was like a studio creation. I never really thought of this song as a live animal, as a living and breathing thing for some reason. I don't know why it was. And I think that's what it was. So now that I think about it, the drums are really, they are there. You just need to hear it on the right source. And for me, that source is a record. Turn the darn thing up. And then just just really let it let it hit you, you know, right into your soul, and and it's just an incredible, incredible ballad. Before you go anymore, I just want to say, Tojam, that thing you said before about the the crucial bit. Yeah, I know that bit you're talking about. It's at two forty eight, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a harmonica. It sounds like it's his vocal, which has been manipulated because it's. I've, I I know that bit because I listened to it a bunch of times. And I, I think it's him. Him singing it? Yep. Yeah, I've got to hear now. I've got to listen to it. Because of the way it sounds, you don't think it's a vocal, but I think it is, and he's, like, spliced some tape up. Maybe. And it's, and it's just this... Burp. Yeah, maybe. I just thought of that. There's, there's literally... There's literally yeah, well, it could be anything. There's literally that much going on in this song that you never know what it is. I mean, in addition to what I've said while you guys are thinking about that, it's it's just such a powerful and wonderful vocal performance. Maybe it's just me, but I never chose... I never think of Adore as the vocal showcase. You know, I always think of Scandalous. I always think of the beautiful ones. But listening to this a few times in the last week or so has really given me a, a, a greater appreciation on how multifaceted his vocal delivery is This is, is here. a huge vocal performance. Yeah, like it, 
again, I didn't realize it, but I mean, the range, the timing, the inundation, the manipulation of his voice, the notes that he's hitting, the feeling that he's singing with, the lyrics in addition to that, all of that within this framework of one of the greatest ballads that he or anyone has ever put together, put to tape um, and composed. I think that's what creates the, the magic of this song. And you've got the sitar sounds and simple. There's, there's a little bit of bass in this track, actually. I wish it was louder. And I would love to, to hear a band, pl- you know, the band play this um, play this live. And in fact, <laughs> Toe Jam and I heard the band play it live. But for some reason, the, the bass didn't hit me then either. Maybe I was just in a trance and, and I can't remember it. But the bass is there. It creates a framework. The, the, the horns are constantly flying in and out and there's all these little parts in the song where they just hit and it's a really cool effect on the listener the bridge contains some really magical elements where like Mm. he's kind of he's singing these lines that are kind of wavering in and out of the the main melody of the song it's just it's just smooth as silk i mean the the guys the guys aren't really on a trip um he must have been on a trip when he was (laughs) putting this together because it's it's almost otherworldly you know and to toe jam's point you know who's the band and it's like, it's one guy. So, Sit down. It's one guy, you know? It's one guy. <laughs> was it, was so, it Minneapolis? The, <laughs> the vocal interplay is just ridiculous. This this song, more than any other in his career, I think proves how untouchable he is as the multifaceted artist. What can he not do? And it's incredible. We talk about his guitar playing and his guitar arrangement and his solo work. There's so little guitar in this, which is also interesting, you know, in in and of itself. The notes he hits are incredible. I don't know. There's kind of like this... I don't know what it's called. What are those things that you hang up on your balcony? Uh, wind chimes. Obviously, it's not wind chimes. Maybe it's like a digital harp or something. But you can, or something. yeah, you can hear that kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's the angels. The, <laughs> the angels playing their analog harps yeah. in the background, uh, just creating a really dreamlike atmosphere. Um, yeah, it does. It sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Towards the end, and vocally, I think he goes for broke. I don't know about you guys, but towards the end, he just kind of goes, "Oh, screw this!" Uh, you know, I've, I've gone, I've gone this far. I'm just going to go for broke now, and he just breaks it down and and really um, wears his heart on his sleeve and delivers this truly majestic and timeless performance. And then you've got you know Prince and his seven clones, the the <laughs> choir of of Prince vocals right towards the end and then funnily enough you know he just can't help himself so he starts he puts in a couple of bass pops in there as well you know <laughs> it's like all of a sudden raise up uh, and the larry graham influence kind of ticked in there so <laughs> this is his greatest love song it's his greatest ballad and it's potentially one of his greatest studio performances 10 out of 10 12 out of 10 as as an arrangement it's one of the best things he's ever done just just looking at that, just looking at the arrangement, it's just insane. Now, everything's in its place. There's no, like, there's no gap. You know, he knows how to fill the space yeah. perfectly. I'll, I'll say it now, a very different song, but this is on the level of a Bohemian Rhapsody for me, from, from a it's purely there, arrangement yeah. point yeah, of view. I, I in that way, it's up there. Insane. You know, if if I was putting together a compilation of, of the greatest <laughs> arranged songs and the greatest composed songs ever within the pop world this would be on there for sure by any any artist but if you picked if just say you picked any freddie mercury any queen song as being you know what's his best example of the best thing he ever did it's bohemian rhapsody and if you had to choose one for prince it'd probably be a door for me ballad wise yeah it'd be up there 
yeah, ballad-wise, probably, yeah. If you wanted to show a song which showed his songwriting ability, his arrangement ability, his vocal ability, you know, all of that stuff, this song has to be up there. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, you've got the lyrics. I mean, until the end of time, I'll be Lyric there for you. Lyric writing as well. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's nuts. He goes on, you know, you own my heart and mind, I truly adore you. And then you've got the, the beautiful line, if God, if God one day struck me blind, your beauty I'd still see. But then what about the next line? Love is too weak to define just what you mean to me. I mean, you've got to be kidding me to, to encapsulate such a huge emotion and such a huge statement of feeling and then thought and intent. He did an okay job. Yeah, no, not bad, right? Not bad. <laughs> not I mean, bad. The, best, the best poets summarize an entire lifetime of thinking into one paragraph or one sentence, you know? Dylan has done that. Leonard Cohen has done that. There's countless other examples. And Prince belongs in that club. If you use this as an example, I love I love that other part in that song where he says something like, like when he first saw her and, you know, what how he felt. And then he says something like, in a word, you are sex. And I'm like, oh, oh he's going there again. But then he, he supplements that line by saying, all of my cool attitude you took, my body was next. And so it's like... Yeah. He's admitted that a woman can have such a powerful effect on him where it's like he's stripped of all his ego, you know? You know what we haven't mentioned yet? For what you would think is his masterpiece ballad, he says the F word. How could nobody not have mentioned that yet? Really? (laughs) It's actually, I think it's I Ain't Funkin' Just For Kicks. Oh, sure, it's Funkin'. I think so, yeah. (laughs) No way. I just find that totally amazing that, you know, as he was writing it, he had to know this is the best thing I've ever bloody done. And then he still goes and puts the F word in there. I think that's hilarious. That's just, that's that's genius. You know, the other thing, uh, this, this song contains one of the most revelatory and potentially one of the most honest. I'm trying to say that he's really, he's just put it all out there. There's a part well, of yeah, this. You, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually start off with a paragraph where he talks about when they're making love. And, and yeah. the reason I'm using that is, and, and I'll read it instead of singing it. Thankfully for our listeners, um, he starts off by saying, when we, when we be making love and you're like, okay, he's going there. But then he says, I only hear the sounds heavenly angels crying up above goes on to say tears of joy pouring down on us. Yeah. They know we need each other. They need, they know you are my fix. And then it keeps going on and on and on. Oh, okay, come on, say the next two lines. Well, well you can read it yourself. <laughs> but <laughs> if, but the, if, if he was really saying funkin' just for kicks, why doesn't he still sing that still lyric? still talking about that. These but days, I, huh? I think, <laughs> I think that reveals more about him than, than most of his other works and most of his other songs. Because what he's potentially saying there is he's having this spiritual experience and not just a physical experience. You know, he's having, he's making love under God, under heaven. You know, the heavenly angels are watching him. And his moment of bliss is when everything comes together, when the spiritual, the religious, the carnal, the physical, all of that happens. And he's like, that's the condition he's got. It's crucial. You know, you could say I'm a terminal case and he goes on and on and on. It's like, I think that those lines potentially give you a greater insight into him as an artist than most of his other work. Because he's really wearing his heart on his sleeve there. And that's yeah. where the best Prince songs come out. I don't know what you guys think. No, I agree. It's good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
like, uh, you know, was I the first? And then the horns, barrel, was I your every fantasy? You know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's classic, that stuff. The way the horns just, like, accentuate that little, Interplay. like, oh, you're not supposed to say that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> F-bomb um, in his biggest ballad. Uh, it just blows me away that I realise that now. Hilarious. That's it. Come on. And final thoughts, Jerry Springer. Final thoughts and rating from left to right, starting with Captain Go. Oh, I got a few things. This album reached number six on the US Billboard Pop Chart, number four on the Billboard Black Chart. This was his first solo release since 1999. All the others were credited to Prince and the Revolution, though you could argue 1999 did have the Revolution written on the cover. How does this album stand up 25 years later? Bloody magnificently. <laughs> it is still excellent. A door still sounds as good as it ever did. I can never take the place your man still sounds as pop as anything on the radio. It's it's just that good. Anyway, this album had three top ten hits, which is pretty impressive. Always turns up in those, the, you know, the best albums of all time. Thousand albums you've got to hear before you die. Sign of the Times is always going to be there, which is no surprise to anyone. Uh, I think out of every album is released, this will be the one that I'm going to have to give 10 out of 10. Wait. I, don't, I don't think it will... There's a first. I don't think it'll ever be topped. As much as I wish I'd love to see it happen, I don't think it will. Uh, there's just too many classic songs on here to give it anything less than a 10. So it's 10 out of 10. Wow. I had to give it some something sometime. <laughs> so it might as well be this one. Well, I'll, look, I'll take that off your hands and I'll just follow up with a straight 10 out of 10 as an average score. Wow. Easily. Easily. I agree with everything the captain said. I think aside from it's going to be a beautiful night, which I think could have been swapped for some even more classic material and would have put this album up into just the stratosphere in terms of untouchability in, 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 in pop music. But even as it is, I think it's without a doubt one of his greatest pieces of work. I, I do think that since this album was released he certainly hit heights again within other projects and i'm talking about love sexy symbol album gold experience rainbow children to a lesser degree and lotus flower but did it ever come together in such a brilliant package i don't think so part of it could have been to do with the luck of the draw and the timing and just the amount of great material that he had but really it's not a flawless piece of work and i don't think there's such a thing, but this is as close as you get to putting on two CDs or two records worth of Prince really creative, exploratory, and really just giving you pure gold in, in almost every department. You know, if you put this record on and you hear it from A to Z and you're not a fan, then obviously the music isn't for you because I think. The amount of classic songs on here, you can't go wrong. One of the greatest albums of all time and certainly one of his best. I'm not calling it his best, though. Notice that. 10 out of 10 uh, anyway. Player. Uh, overall, this is a great mix of an album that displays Prince's diversity. You've got the social commentary track, the playful Prince, the funky Prince, the dark and mysterious Prince, the futuristic sounding Prince, the soul seduction Prince, the pop Prince. So you have all these different sounds covering a wide array of themes and topics, but they all come together in a consistent sound. I don't know what it is that makes Son of the Times the great thing that everyone makes it out to be. You just can't pinpoint one thing. 
it's just a musical journey that has something on there for everybody. My favorite track on this one would be Housequake. On this two, it'll be If I Was Your Girlfriend. I'm not going to give this 10 out of 10 for two reasons. One being I have other Prince albums that are right a little higher than this. The other being most of the songs here become fully realized in the Sonnet Times movie and ultimately being the definitive versions. But that doesn't take away, uh, um, you know, how great an album this is. So my final score would be nine and a half out of ten. Whoa. All right, all right. And uh, Toe Jam to round us out. Oh, the pressure's on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked this album, but when I first got it, it was nowhere near my favourite. The difference between this album and so many others of his is that this is a true grower. And I've had this album for oh, probably at least ten years now, at least probably going on probably 12 years now that I think about it. And yet, this is the one album, when I, uh, well, I've got all these albums in front of me now, I'm looking at them right now, and this is the one that I can look at, and I think, this album, I still feel I'm a novice to, and that's not because I haven't listened to it a lot, it's because the songs are so thick and rich, that there's so much happening in almost every single song, like, um, Adore, you know, there's, like we just said, there's so much happening in that, The Cross, there's so much subtlety and simplicity going on in that, I could never take the place of your man. Strange relationship. If I was your girlfriend, you got the look. That whole second disc is so much happening. And then you look at the first disc, which we did last time, and it's, it's the same kind of thing. Every time I listen to this album, I feel like I've grown a bit. I've heard something I haven't heard before. Um, I've seen a new perspective on a song that I never saw before. And listening to you guys, you know, every time you guys say something, I think, oh, I'll have to check that out as well. So this album has that advantage is that it, it will grow. It's, it's, you know, it's like a seed. You plant it and you let it grow. And it's certainly... Every time I look at what my favorite albums are, this is you know ever so slowly just creeping up there, creeping up there. I still don't know if I could say it's it's certainly not my favorite Prince album. There's, there's still one or two that I still rate higher than that. But it starts getting tough when I start saying it's beyond three or four, just with the sheer amount of material on it. So score-wise, I think I'm going to have to go for a solid nine as well, which is interesting because I think if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said eight, and a year before that, I probably would have said seven. <laughs> so, um, so when we do our um, <laughs> if you, re-review next year. <laughs> yeah, who knows? We'll see. Uh, so yeah, what a fantastic album. What a fantastic era, really. And just to finish off, it's interesting that this album was probably the first album since the second album, the Prince album, that was although it has it has kind of a theme to it, it's really just a collection of really high quality songs of different styles and genres because you know we had after prince you had dirty mind which had the sort of grungy theme you had controversy which had its theme 1999 obviously had that futuristic sound purple rain was all the movie soundtrack and around the world the day had a theme parade had a theme and then suddenly this one comes along and it's this is what prince can do like this is just a collection it's like you're you know it's like you've been invited to paisley park or wherever it's, he's supported this it's the buffet tracks. yeah exactly <laughs> all you can eat <laughs> You know, it's like for these two hours or whatever it is, you're in this world, you're in the Prince world, but it's not Prince trying to do something. Like, he's not trying to make a movie. He's not trying to make an album that sounds like this. This is just, this is Prince. And so this album kind of encapsulates Prince at his absolute peak. It's the sampler set. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Having said that, that I gave a 10 out of 10, that doesn't mean it's my favorite album because it's not but I would rate this 10 out of 10. I got a question for MC. Fair enough. I got a question for MC. Yes. This this or the gold experience? (laughs) 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 They're going to start a war. You're you're a cruel man. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's going to have to be this because he didn't rate Gold Experience 10. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, he probably only gave that like eight and a half. I'm going to go into that another time. <laughs> 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 I don't think I can possibly do that at, at the moment. I'm talking about this album for like three hours, but yeah, it's it's, the- it's kind of asking like. Captain, uh, what his favourite burger is? You can't yeah. just give one answer to that. <laughs> yeah, there's too many burgers to choose from. There's yeah, too you many know burgers what? in the world. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> what's special about this one, like everyone has an album that's kind of a sentimental aisle. That's the album that I remember this period of time. I remember when I was 14 and I listened to this album. Like, has gone has that kind of feeling to it. Whereas this one doesn't. I don't have that feeling with this album. It's just it's kind of like this album that I just keep refreshing and uh, I never feel I've really captured it. I'm kind of like you there, and in fact, to compare that to the Gold Experience, the Gold, the gold Experience is the sentimental album for me. Yeah. It's the one that yeah. I hold closest to my chest. Which one's, well, it's not a question of better, but which one would I prefer? It's hard to say. I reckon they're running neck and neck. It depends on my mood, I guess. But I might want to investigate a little bit more and uh, have a bit of a think before I answer definitively. But well, you've got to get the gold experience on vinyl, Sign of the Times on vinyl, back-to-back listening yeah. sessions yeah, before you could even come close to answering that question. I think you're right, Captain. I think that's next, actually, <laughs> for me. But one thing that I just thought of right, right at the end of what all, what all of you just said, when you look at these 16 songs or however many songs there are on this album... 16. 16, the majority of them... 12 to 13 of these could be singles. <laughs> then you think about the quality, the craftsmanship, the um, absolute brilliance of the majority of these songs. And I'm just thinking about all the other artists I'd listen to, right? In all genres of music, from all eras, out of the modern era of music. And I just realized something that this record doesn't have in common with the majority of those albums. And that is the what I, what I will call the kaleidoscope effect. And it's kind of what Toe Jam was referring to a few minutes ago. Just thinking about this on the spot now, I haven't thought about it enough, but I'll say this. Sign of the Times contains probably more pound-for-pound pound gold, kick-ass, top-notch, incredible material than most records I own. And it, what I mean by that is like, you know, I might listen to some Queen records or some Zappa records or some, some Miles stuff or whatever it is, but they seem to pale in comparison. If I, if I do the following exercise, I take a Miles record and I put it up against Sign of the Times. Like, I might take a Miles error and put it up against Sign, or I might take a Queen error or a Zappa error. Yeah, of albums, one album, but, one album, you can't do But it. one album, and I think that's why we keep coming back, and so many Prince fans keep coming back to this album, is because it's not just the era. It's these two CDs, or these two records, that contain so much material. Like, you could build a career on this album by spacing it out over a period of 10 or 15 years. He did it in one year. The guy's nuts. Imagine if, just like our reviews, we did... You put out part one and then waited like, you know, four months <laughs> and then did part two. Imagine if you did that with the album. <laughs> if the four of us got together and recorded a song like If I Was Your Girlfriend, right? Just in a room as a band. That'd be a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> that probably wasn't the best choice to, to reference. But if we recorded like... <laughs> now it's getting difficult, isn't it? Housequake, Housequake. If we recorded Housequake, right, amongst the four of us, we'd be seen as like the the kings of funk in Australia and we'd probably become well-known around the world and we could build a career on that. There are 10 or 12 songs 
like that, of that kind of quality on this release. That is not normal. Like most artists would kill for a sign of the times or a play in the sunshine or a housequake or the ballad of Dorothy Park or strange relationship where you got to look or a door or slow love. Or I think I've hit the nail on the head. There's too much quality on this album. It's it's like it's not it's, fair. It's too good. It's like it's, it's not fair. It's just not fair to anyone else. It isn't. <laughs> you know, like if you were sitting in the studio and you composed and recorded and played I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man and then you gave it to like someone to listen to, they'd, they'd say, wow, that's an incredible piece of work. He's got 15 examples of that on this album. That's- could, you imagine, um, could you imagine Prince recording something like, say, A Door and then just doing it in the sort of haze of doing it and then sort of coming back the next day and listening to it and going, did I just do that? Like, <laughs> that'd be a really odd experience. <laughs> and maybe that's what happened. Who knows? I mean, that's, that's interesting. You, but- you can go and pull out any CD, any Prince album right now and you'll find at least one song which you, someone, a fair few people would classify as a filler track. Show me the filler track on this album, and I know you're probably going to say Beautiful Night. But, yeah, but even um, even if you say Beautiful Night or Starfish and Coffee or whatever, they're not true fillers. No, there's nothing. It's all quality. They're fillers it's, in the context of this album, which is, you know... Mm, which is still like ten times of everything yeah. else. Crazy. Yeah, but see, there's no, like, segues and things that, you know, potentially mm. ruin other releases, where you've got, like, novelty segues or, you know, things that bridge two songs together which you know only run for a few seconds or a minute that you know yeah just these are just the this, yeah that's right these are just like song after song and there's no interruption and it's it's just yeah as much as you don't want to praise Warner Brothers for like stifling creativity it could have been the right choice to cut this down to a double album I mean if you put it out as a triple album I mean still you think of the material that was cut and it was still really high quality stuff yeah, I mean... But then there's the more chance that people can say, oh, well, that's a filler track, that's a filler track. But when it's this condensed, you can't really say that. Oh, oh and by the way, this is the work of primarily one guy. <laughs> After it's everything one, we've one just guy. said... He d- plays everything, sings everything. Because <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes from Minneapolis, of all places. <laughs> Sit down. Sit down. What I'm about. <laughs> but I, I think you nailed it before, MC, when you said, you know, and it's sandwiched. It's sandwiched between Under the Cherry Moon, the Parade Tour, and then, you know, Love Sexy, Love Sexy Tour. And it's like, how can someone do all this within a period of like a year and a half, you know? Hmm. And the Black Album. The Black Album and all the other outtakes and... And then you've got Associated Artists, you've got the Jill Jones Project, you've got Sheila, you've got Madhouse. 87, that's the year, isn't it? Kidding me? Yeah, it's like... It is the year. Colour us all peach and black. And on that note, good night from the Peach and Black podcast. We have had a ball. This has been... We've had a crystal ball. (laughs) (laughs) Hello to Crystal and we've had a ball. Uh, This has been absolutely amazing talking about this seminal release <laughs> part i apologize for my poor choice of words to finish the show off with but it's in good spirits <laughs> and i'm got lo- shout outs we got shout outs losing my mind a little bit player shout outs a couple of people that we missed on last show marcus simon helen adore cream Thanasi. And- yeah i met him i met him in melbourne at the the, the show yeah. And I want to say thank you to all the MPG that um, promoted our last show. Um, Shelby, 
Cassandra, Elisa, Liv, um, Andy, McKee, Andy McKee, yeah, Rashida, Rashida, yeah. like all those guys promoted our show. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, much love. Shout out to oh, Mike, damn. Mike and Chris, Aris Lewis, <laughs> Damaris, uh, the yeah. twins, the twins, yeah, the twins. You realise we've also we spent the last three or four years, whatever it is having a little joke at the end of each show about getting Prince to tour here. We're going to have to start again, aren't we? Come on, Prince. Come on. We're down here. We're waiting. <laughs> 21 Nights, Opera House. 2015. <laughs> See you there. Classic. Join the Facebook group. Make it happen. That's right. Make it happen, Reach right? for the stars. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone on the panel. And um, peace and be wild. The journey continues. Peter Black Podcast will continue with more goodness in store for the rest of the year and onwards. Big anniversaries coming up later this year. Big anniversaries, big albums, big associated artist projects. Yep. We'll be there. Look out. Uh, okay. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.